Oh, Jay, the yes. holidays are upon us. How uh, uh, are you ready to get presents for the kids uh, and do all that just, crap? You know, I'm. I have to always pour through weird. Like every year, it's the same thing. It's like there's gotta be some good Christmas songs out there, right? So I go through like mentally, like just searching for the most obscure random shit. There's gotta be something good I haven't heard, okay? And then no, it's just the same. Well, Same garbage buddy. music I come back to, and then I go, oh. What, you don't like Mariah Carey? <laughs> um, oh, Jesus. All right, well, nothing says holidays like getting together with friends. Oh, that's so, a good, uh, good in a moment, segue. we will, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a professional. <laughs> At least I'm um, not going to keep saying you're into this. Yeah, please don't do that ever again. You're, okay. Stop. All now. right. Can you just tell everybody what your name is first, please? I'm Jason. My name is Matt. We started a podcast because we always talk about music, and we thought you might like to listen to us do it. Um, what's the name of the podcast, Jay? It's We Listen to Records. We Listen, we listen, listen, listen to, to Records. 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 <laughs> and today we have a special guest. The first time we've ever had a guest on the pod. Uh, Jay. Yes. Can you tell this, us about our guest, please? Uh, well, I can speak to uh, Sean um, from Letters from a Tapehead. Um, who I know from way back um, when I used to write more about music and um, would sort of have some interaction with Sean there. And then we kind of like, I think, I don't even remember now through the podcast or something or I reached out to him. I don't remember, but I was like, oh, letters from a tape head. And, and we emailed back and forth and uh, and Sean was listening to the show amazingly. <laughs> and, and we said, hey, man, you should be on. You had some some things to say about Black Flag, I think. So we are here talking about my war. Yeah, Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, this is great. And um, so I guess you wrote in after we did our uh, episode about Henry Rollins' um, Get in the Van (laughs) and and had uh, a lot of thoughts about that. And so you have brought us today my war, uh, a later Black Flag offering, right? Uh, Their second full-length LP. True. Um, but following a three-year-long absence uh, between, you know, their first LP, Damaged, which was released in 1981. Um, three-year absence was caused because of a, uh, a court injunction. They were not allowed to release any records with their name, uh, which actually kind of caused them some issue. Uh, they yeah. fell out of popularity um, because everything in the punk rock scene, or at least hardcore, was word of mouth had to keep playing to be relevant they couldn't do that um but they still were writing material so by the time the injunction was uh dissolved uh they had a lot of material and all of it was a departure from what you know the fans were used to so they were man- they managed to actually premiere some of this stuff in i believe 1983 prior to uh actually recording my war um, and it confused everybody. Um, and, you know, of course, allegations of selling out and, you know, whatever else befalls a group that normally tries to evolve, especially in a scene like, you know, hardcore where it's all about the anger and the vitriol. Um, <laughs> any kind of artistic statement is deemed, you know, highfalutin or bougie. So, um, yeah, Greg Ginn was actually a big deadhead and, um, also into Sabbath, all of them were into Sabbath, and certainly indications of that can be heard on side two, which is the uh, the point of controversy with the My War record. 
So we usually like to start off up front giving our audience a little sense of the album we're talking about in case they're not from. I mean, I think everybody sh- listening to this <laughs> podcast should be familiar with this al- yeah. album. But, uh, Sean, is there a song that you think really personifies this album for the listener? Like, what's what's the best track? Uh, and also, just a word of advice. If you want a song played, just yell at Jason. It's his job to play <laughs> the music, right, and right. it's really fun to boss him around. Oh, so yeah. um, I will turn it over <laughs> to you, Mr. Sean. Uh, you can boss Jason around tell him what track you want to hear. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it's kind of hard to call one because of the, it's sort of, there's a weird dichotomy with this record because the first side is, by and large, a little more traditional as far as the punk rock goes. The best song on this album, objectively, is probably the title track, which you're playing right now. Right, right, right. Yeah. All right, Jay, back it up and I'm make gonna it I'm going to start loud. it over. All right. This is my war. First A side, track one.
So, Sean, you were saying um, at the time that this was released, the reception was not, you know, among more traditional punk types was not all that great. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, there was a there was a court injunction against Black Flag because of a contract dispute that happened after Damaged. Basically, Greg Ginn tried to get Damaged um, major label distribution. So he co-partnered um, the release of Damaged with a record label called Unicorn. Uh, they were indie label, but they had MCA distribution. Uh, the records were manufactured with the MCA logo, and just before they distributed to record stores, the uh, chief of distribution for MCA uh, heard the record. Um, basically, <laughs> someone from Rolling Stone badmouthed it, apparently. And this guy was like, oh, well, now I'm curious. And he checked it out and was like, nope. Um, he found the content anti-parent. That was his quote. So oh, Black wow. Flag, they went to the factory, they went to the pressing plant armed with a bunch of stickers. Um, it said, as a parent, I found it an anti-parent record and proceeded to hand affix this label to 20,000 copies of this record to cover the MCA logo. Wow, wow. Um, but they were seen, they were deemed in violation um, SST records, uh, Greg Ginn and Chuck Dukowski's label. Um, they uh, sued Unicorn for, um, I think, holding back royalties and for also not, um, I guess, coming through with whatever money they needed to record the record. And then uh, Unicorn countersued for breach of contract and won. So, um, because Hardcore is so reliant on not only you know, live shows and um, issuing material. I mean, there was no internet, obviously. So, you know, you're, you're dead in the water if you're not making music. So the, I think the follow-up was regarded, you know, not as well because when Black Flag left or had, you know, kind of left the scene for you know, that period of time, it was a five-member crew that, you know, was doing the, not the traditional necessarily, but definitely delivering a juggernaut very nihilistic and fast and you know basically what people wanted to hear what they followed up with now they had rounds on vocals greg ginn doubling as bassist and guitarist and a new drummer bill stevenson from descendants so basically a trio made this record yeah i was um, gonna say about about my war it was funny that uh i was reading uh spray paint the walls and and chuck dukowski says my war is about greg Jane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he apparently wrote that song because he pissed off at Greg. Yeah. Yeah, and, and every then, time I hear it, I just I keep thinking like, wow, this is real. This is like you're like and what, you're and one Zukowski of them. Was pushed you're out one of the them. band right before they recorded this, right? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Zukowski's not on this record, yeah, even no. though he wrote a couple tracks. Yeah, he, yeah. He's responsible for this, and I love you. Yeah, uh, which is a which is such. I was going to bring that up too as such a a weird, outstanding track to me because. I always hear it two different ways. You know, I hear this like, um, uh, well, I guess it makes me think about uh, Rape Me from Nirvana, how that got like very quickly co-opted by like the wrong kind of people, uh, you know, sort of like singing this, this rock anthem in like the worst possible way and how much that must just have made Kurt Cobain like lose his fucking mind. 
and here's this and and this song is is pretty like misogynistic about like uh just getting just getting wasted and like i but i love you and and i'm like i wonder if this was turned around by the wrong kind of kind of crowd sort of like co-opting this track in like a weird way of like sympathizing with the character instead of sort of being like you know taking that in like an ironic way i, I don't mean, know i wonder i do think uh i mean the track itself i i, I always got the idea that you weren't really rooting for this guy like <laughs> no definitely you know the problem yeah, yeah, yeah. um it reminds me actually of um run for your life by the beatles okay uh are you familiar with that song uh I'm, no your life if you can little girl hide okay. your head in the sand little girl okay catch okay. you with another man that's the end of little girl like that's, okay. that's john lennon basically saying i'll kill you if you wind <laughs> up with some other guy yeah. so you know delivered in their you know nice little jovial poppy way and, right but it's still i mean the intent behind that song i find much more um <laughs> misogynistic i guess yeah, than yeah. I, this guy and I love you, and I'm not sympathizing with him by any stretch. Right, right, right. He does seem to be a little more out of control of his faculties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe I'm just reading into that a bit. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and turn it up a little bit. Let's listen. I, I don't think we should listen to the whole thing because it's kind of long. But let's just listen to a little snippet of "I okay, Love You." Okay. listening to this track yeah. is when we did get in the van for me one of the more charming aspects i guess of that uh that episode is rollins he's so young and he's so immature in so many ways yeah and he talks pretty openly about wanting to be with girls wanting a girlfriend wanting love and romance but also like not knowing how and and being scared and angry about it yeah and i actually i mean i know he didn't write this track but he he's up front singing it and i do feel like they do capture that I want you but I can't have you and it makes me angry and I don't know what to do about it conflicted thing that Rollins actually talked about pretty nicely in his book yeah um, and you know I think at its best Black Flag can do that where they can, they they find anger in things that are rooted in, in a more complex human experience and, and that for me is really cool yeah I agree with that um, and, and what I would say too is um, I guess Rollins is a, a vocalist I mean, to your point, a lot of these songs were not written by him, but because he's so front and center and because he's so, um, I don't want to say passionate necessarily, but at least he gets really into it. Um, it's almost like he believes that it almost is like a lot of his content does come from him. Um, right. He is very good at putting himself in the narrator's position. Yeah. Well, you can imagine if nothing else, I mean, he was writing that diary and you can, you know, 
the get in the van, he talks a lot about how there's no privacy. You're sleeping on floors. Everybody's going through your shit. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine at some point the dudes were reading his diary and making fun of him or sympathizing with him. Or, you know, they're sitting around drunk talking about how they wish they could get some girls to hang out. Like, you can kind of imagine the layers of just like lonely dudeness that would build up <laughs> in the van and i mean it just you know it's it, it comes out in damage in one way but I, I think it comes out in my war in a much more like personal way um well not I necessarily think, more complex but more personal mm-hmm. and and i think like gone are the um tv parties and the uh, rise above kind of tracks you know where it's like you know, I, uh, it's funny because I took Black Flag different ways growing up. Like TV party to me was very like, like these goofy guys doing the you know punk rock about you know just bullshit watching TV, which is hilarious. But I didn't, I don't think I got the the maybe the more more level of of uh, you know the other level of irony there of these they are singing as characters and and I think I feel like they you know as I love you you know goes to show they kind of do that a lot and sort of have these personas or or this situation that they they use as fuel for for songwriting but but i think the goofiness is is decidedly gone on this record or any kind of even you know levity it's just it seems very serious and then especially side b for sure just takes it to a new level for them and 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 everybody else um you know arguably like a lot of people were saying that um, when when Blackfly was touring with that, playing those tracks, that um, that was the beginning of a lot of the grunge. Was like, oh, we're gonna play this slower and and louder and and just sort of revel in this droniness, mm-hmm. which uh, which became, you know, a lot of bands immediately after or or bands started playing with that idea which i mean like in 2018 my i want to listen to the b-side because that's that's what really speaks to me now it's like that sound whereas i I feel like the a-side is is um is much more dated maybe or like sort of well that's like classic black flag is like yeah okay this is i'll lump this all together as like well that's why i asked my question to sean earlier because to to my ear in 2018, especially the the front half of this, I mean, yeah. it doesn't sound all that different from Damaged. I mean, it's yeah. There's there's a bit more chorus, bridge, chorus kind of thing, um, but you know, it's not all that different. You still got Rollins up front. It's still loud and raw. Mm-hmm. But I know, I know that like the punk purists, especially in this era, this album was breaking all of their expectations. So, I mean, Sean, can you go into that a little bit? Like, what are the things that they were doing specifically on this record? that are different than Damage, that were different than other punk bands were doing at the time, and that people would have seen as, like, corrupting in some way? Well, I kind of, what I do find, what I've always found kind of funny about hardcore in general is that it has always had this reputation for being remarkably lockstep and very one note as far, I mean, literally one note as far as, you know, how you're, how you're playing. Um, but they don't, for some reason, take into account exactly how complex some of these structures are i mean a, a band like the bad brains who you know was inspired by stanley clark i mean they were a prog band before they decided to go hardcore not to mention all the reggae they were doing i mean what a diverse band but everybody kind of fixates on them as being uh, i guess you know paragons of what hardcore is supposed to be but somehow discounts the musicianship that goes into it so it's like when any band has seemingly kind of 
explored musicianship, it has somehow not been as well incorporated into the fabric of what their reputation is. So in the case of a band like Black Flag, whose, um, you know, uh, I guess reputation was based in, you know, violence and, um, you know, just uh, anger overall. Um, the reception with this album was strange because the anger seems more real. Yeah. Um, but structures are complex and for some reason everyone kind of focuses on that and i mean you know not discounting the third side i mean you're listening to swinging man right now yeah that is that's a jazzy track yeah, yeah. that's that's not i mean that's not one two one two that's not first course first i mean that is a very strange very bold track for this band to be doing yeah right. and they had a drummer who was capable of it um you know with bill stevenson um but I mean, it, it's it's you know stuff like that is challenging the status quo to some extent. And after a three-year absence, I don't think audiences wanted a bold departure from what they were familiar with. Yeah, I no. think, I think were... one of the things that we've talked about on several episodes of this show is often when bands start out, they're they're kind of insecure, and a lot of bands seem to hide that behind sort of simplicity, but also kind of goofiness right early um we did chastity belt and their first album versus their second album is such a huge departure yeah. um or uh we just did urinals where they they start off as like a goofy dorm room joke band and eventually get you know the, the capacity to make more quality music and i think there's a lot of bands out there and, and honestly damaged has a degree of that where songs like tv party yeah. and the humor are kind of hiding the insecurity of the band a little bit mm-hmm. and and i think all of hardcore especially in the era that we're talking about in the philosophy that you were talking about um, is very much rooted in the let's keep it simple because everybody can do it. It's super accessible and people like the idea that even if they don't have the talent, they could still like perform this music. And then along comes black flag with my war. Who's like, no, we're going to incorporate actual musical skill and actual songwriting ability in this, in this album. And I think it, it challenges like people's perception of the simplicity of the music and the accessibility of it, I guess. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. But I mean, and, and also, I mean, kind of to that point, um, just about how the music grows in 1984 it wasn't just my war. I mean, double nickels on the dime from Minutemen came out that year. Husker do's Zen arcade came out that year. Right. Two always came out that year. I mean, hardcore was going somewhere whether black flag dictated that or not i mean they definitely made um an effort to you know get get to where they wanted to go i think um i know like i I think i'm you know mentioned greg ginn being a a deadhead right i mean he had he had ambition to do something other and in the year 1984 keeping in mind how much material they had they'd stored up basically while they were unable to record this was one of four records they released in 1984. Yeah, that's crazy. Right. They had one live record and two additional studio records. And one of those studio records was a spoken word jazzy instrumental hybrid. <laughs> so, I mean, they were throwing it to their audience to either, you know, get on board or just go, you know. Well, yes. and I think, I think maybe, you know, and before that they, there was any sort of thought behind doing this either i i think like nobody knew what to do with that in terms of like promotion or or airplay or anything it was just like what there's four records i, I don't know what who know another black sure 
I don't know what this is. You know, like and, and, which one should I even buy? I don't know. There's and four no of documented them. evolution. I mean, if, yeah. if any, I mean, if you take, I mean, I hate bringing these this up again, but um, like the Beatles from Please Please Me to Abbey Road. Yeah, right. I mean, that is five years. Yeah. But you, but a steady evolution the entire way. So by the time you get to Rubber Soul or Revol- or Revolver, right? It's like, I'm I'm astounded. I'm shocked. I mean, it's completely different. But I get where they were coming from. It's like at least there's hints of that evolution and everything they've done up to that point. Yeah, yeah. These guys are coming from damaged and going right into my war. And then you know we haven't talked about the second side yet, but. I mean, that in and of itself was an affront. Right. Yeah. Well, let's 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 get to the second side. Where do you want to Where do you want to jump in? Well, uh, well, let's start with what What's a good track to give Give us a sense of the second side, Sean. What do you What do you think can can immerse us in the uh, philosophical change that is the B side? <laughs> what's that? Kind of where you're at now, honestly. Yeah. Which uh, Jay? Which track are we we got going on right now? Nothing left inside. Nothing left inside. foreshadowing of Rollins' solo career. I and mean, this, yeah. this sounds yeah. so much like um, uh, yeah. low self-opinion. What was his yes. name? End of Silence. That, yes. that whole record, just like sludgy. <laughs> totally. And just Henry, Henry like ranting over it. Yeah. Did you ever hear um, the um, Lifetime or Hard Volume records? Uh, I have not. No, no. Okay, because a lot of this stuff is in those. Um, he, before End of Silence, um, they were, they had a few records out on uh, Texas Hotel Records and were beating, like struggling, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think uh, Rollins credits Lollapalooza. Sure. Yeah, right. Helping Rollins' band get off the ground. That, I mean, that's... I, saw, I, I first saw... The only time I've ever seen Rollins perform live was in 1989 or early 1990 opening oh. for Jane's Addiction what? before <laughs> the first Lollapalooza. Wow. Um, and... You know, I, I knew Black Flag at that point, but I didn't know any of Rollins' solo stuff. And, you know, little 13-year-old me was just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, it was the first time I ever got in a mosh pit. I lost my shoe. I got punched in the face. And I was like the happiest kid you've ever that's, seen. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a hell of a night. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think I would have gone to bed very happy yes. that night. Hell yeah. Yeah, I definitely uh, I definitely saw Rollins' band on the uh, Lollapalooza tour and didn't even make the connection that that was related to Black Flag. I mean, it was like, you know, whatever, 15 or something. Like, what? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's the only time I would have ever, ever seen him. Or, And I can imagine, I mean, you know, sort of to, you know, kind of pick up Sean's thread here. Um, I mean, when I listen to the B-side of My War... What I actually hear, like if I try to hear it through the ear of somebody who was listening to Damaged in 81 or 82 and thought Black Flag like represented all of their anger and their frustration, there's an element of, of the second side of my war that's invoking like, again, you know, the Grateful Dead and 70s mm. jam rock. And it, I can imagine someone thinking that they were co-opting all of the stuff that po- punk was supposed to reject. Does that make yeah. sense? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you follow. Um, I mean, we cite Sabbath. Sabbath is definitely responsible for this 
whole second side of this record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also deemed, yeah, to the, <laughs> the to the opposition of everything that we're railing against. You know. Well, yeah. and when you're a kid, I mean, especially pre-internet, you know, if you're throwing out you know, all the stuff that your parents want you to listen to and pop radio and the mainstream. And if you're trying to find the thing that defined you as truly outside of everything, yeah, it must be really disappointing to suddenly like listen to the band that really helped you define your outsiderness and realize that they're pulling in all of this stuff that you thought you had thrown away. You know, it's such, it's such a, um, I want to just say like adolescent attitude that I am a hundred percent guilty of. I can't tell you the number of times where I would be like, Oh, so-and-so likes this band. Fuck them. They're the worst. (laughs) This band band sucks or, or all they're being played in 120 minutes too much. Just, just dumb. Or or just like you, you would, you would write off a band out of hand because one person in in that band was in a band you didn't like now. Who knows? I didn't even need a reason. And, And I think, I mean, sadly, like, the the audience doesn't mature with this sound i don't know i don't know exactly well, i mean and i think that too is the reason why black flag continued to go the way they were going i mean mm. it was up to their audience to you know kind of grow up yeah essentially because I, I mean certainly in dc where rights of spring and revolution summer happened mm. like a year later actually wow. they were you know, making a statement against a lot of the violence that was happening in the hardcore scene. I mean, that's kind of why Fugazi happened. Yeah. You know, right. like, I mean, Minor Threat had dissolved by 83. Those guys were sick and tired of fighting people. Yeah. I, I was so reading guys, <laughs> reading this book and and hearing about all of the, the touring that happened before this record came out. And just, I mean, it's literally getting the shipping out of you every single place you you just go they go through like this show this show this show and everyone is like somebody was kicked in the face and uh they, they bottle broken over his head and it's just like oh my god those, this is those like scenes in get in the van war. with the spitting i could not oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. get over the spitting <laughs> well i mean not only that but like he i mean ron's did become the object of everyone's derision. Oh, I bet. I mean, oh my God. E- even though the musical decisions weren't necessarily his, right. he took a lot of flack for the direction Black Flag went. And because they were still under the Black Flag umbrella and still rocking the bars, I mean, that was seen as a betrayal. Right. Sure. Yeah, Rollins ruined the band. Fuck well, him. I'm going to kill him. Was, right. I heard that for years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I've been a huge fan of his for decades right. and, and had to say you know this was going to happen whether Rollins was the vocalist or not yeah yeah like he had his ideas he wanted to do other things he had ambition and then you know where the band went from here i mean they brought on kira rossler mm-hmm. to play bass i mean they only got more and more accomplished with her right I mean, I mean if i can say anything wrong with my war Greg Ginn's not much of a bassist. Right, right. I mean, of course. The, the, I mean, the beginnings of Three Nights and Scream are almost identical because he can play to a guitar, but he can't, like, he, he can't kind of figure out an, an alternative rhythm. Whereas if you listen to, like, one of my favorite Black Flag albums is The Process of Weeding Out, P.E.P. Yeah. And that's completely instrumental, but she's so ahead. Yeah. Like, I mean, he... He rocks it, but she's just ahead with the with the rhythms. Yeah, yeah. Bill Stevenson and Kira Rossler were just 
unstoppable as a rhythm section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds um, it sounds like from that book that they really like got along and and you know would would rehearse like crazy. I mean, even beyond the crazy schedule that like Greg had them doing and everybody else, they were just into it themselves and on their own kind of yeah kind and, of thing. And Chuck Dukowski, I mean, he managed to stay in the band as a manager, right? And he was actually responsible for their touring schedule, which apparently was so haphazard and <laughs> you know, ridiculous that you know. Um, sort of, you know, kind of like leaping off of that, if I can. Um, Rollins has a podcast right now with his assistant uh, called Henry and Heidi. Oh, wow. Okay. And they recently talked about doing the My War record. Basically, Heidi comes up with a topic and Rollins talks about it. And he said that the touring they were doing during this point in time was just, it was horribly out of sorts. And there's a photo apparently of Gin and Rollins looking follow eyed because they played three shows in three states in 24 hours. That's right. Yeah. That's in the get in the van thing too. Yeah. Where he talks about that. That's insane. Yeah. The other cool anecdote, apparently when they were recording this, they were recording it at total access from 12 AM till 8 AM. This record? This record. Because okay. <laughs> uh, the engineer spot had an in with the owners and to get the best rate, they had to do it off hours when all, when the when the actual engineers were off work. So basically they'd hand spot the keys, black flag would load in and they would, you know, just scream their heads off till 8 a.m. And then whenever I hear stories like that, (laughs) or like when we were talking about Slint, Spiderland and how, you know, you have to sneak in at four in the morning because nobody else wants to record that. (laughs) But I always just wonder like, what was being recorded during the daylight expensive hours yes, I would that love anybody that would schedule. remember or care about? Like, <laughs> yes. you know, versus, you know, My War, one of the, certainly one of the greatest, most memorable punk albums of the era, you know, is recorded at midnight because it's cheap and crazy. And they, you know, oh like, I just, God. I always find that fascinating. Like, what, what was going on in the daylight hours that it's nobody true. has ever remembered? I think yeah. that's really that's funny. Couple, that's funny. I have a couple great anecdotes actually talking about that very thing oh, awesome um so rollins talks about a couple things one when when they were offloading at 8 a.m <laughs> one of the times the members of wasp showed up oh. and they, were, they were loading out you know recording their full album as wasp was coming in to record demos wow so like you know wasp is multi-million dollars at this point so yeah they're just there to record a bunch of demos <laughs> Rollins is like, they're very tall. They're probably not even going to use these tracks. You know, we're recording our full album, you know, in the off hours. And you kind of realize exactly where you fall in the food chain. Oh, man. Um, There's that. And then he said he can't hold a mic. He can't, like, stand solitary with a microphone. So Spot would have him in the lobby of the recording studio, basically, you know, wired into the soundboard. And he would just he would just like thrash about on couches and stuff like that just sort of screaming in the lobby you know holding the microphone <laughs> at the end of the song three nights the very end you can actually hear the coke machine turn on <laughs> awesome <laughs> well hold on yeah. before we get to the third antidote do you guys want to listen to a little wasp well let me hold on let me see if i can get to the end of three nights just a second i gotta hear that it's you can hear it. Okay, I, okay, I actually heard it yesterday. All right, I'm going to crank it up. This is the last 10 seconds. Seven 
There it goes. <laughs> That's all. <awesome. laughs> I hear like the creaking of this like, chair. Like, <laughs> oh, that's, well, uh, that's great. That's great. I'm just gonna jump into. I'm just. Uh, I'm gonna pop on a little wasp for us. If that's oh, all right. sure. This is this Please. is wild child from ruin uh, the podcast. Okay, fine. No, no, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> That's all we ever need of that. Oh, the video beautiful. is fucking ridiculous. I, that was good back in the day. I can yeah. imagine. Oh my god. I mean, oh. honestly, the more I read about these guys, uh, the and and just how not like really friends they were in any way, I'm blown away by how much material they were able to get done and how much they could tour and the, this legacy they created for people who were just driven to do this i guess because there, there didn't seem to be much like relationship a lot of the time between them personally other than we want to do this and we happen to be in the same band it's pretty nuts it's like in spite of themselves they managed to keep this going and then and then you throw in legal shit and whatever else it's like it's it's i mean i have to like them just because they managed to somehow get this shit done is like pretty unbelievable Love of the music. Yeah. That's Love really all that we Yeah. You have to respect that. If nothing else, even if you don't care about any of these records in a, like, sonic way. <laughs> but, I mean, they, they also did, though, they broke down a lot of walls. They did, you know, lay a lot of road for oh, yeah. much of what we've come to understand and appreciate as far as, you know, fans of indie rock, mathcore. Right post hardcore i mean you name it i mean a lot of this stuff stems from them absolutely absolutely so um, sean let's let's pick one more track to listen to and then we'll do final thoughts and and all the usual wrap-up stuff so uh is there one more track that we haven't listened to that you think we should give uh you know put the spotlight on for a minute uh, let me think um I mean, I guess, I guess we want to do something uh shorter uh can't decide is pretty good can't decide can't decide that's uh, that's appropriate. Well, Jay, before you launch that, <laughs> yes. I mean, Sean, Sean's point is is good. I mean, a significant number of tracks in this album are six minutes or longer. Scream is almost seven. Yeah, can't decide is actually five and a half uh, minutes long. Wow, that's still which for a you know punk record is unbelievable. That's crazy, that's crazy long yeah, when you think about du- double nickels on the dime or something like that. Oh yeah, or um, anything else. Black Flag did previously. I mean, the longest reason. track on Damaged is under four minutes. Um, yeah, right. And, you know, the shortest track on My War is uh, almost three minutes. So it's it's um, and it's and a very different record in that way. So, yeah, let's throw on. I don't know if we're going to do all five and a half minutes. We can't decide. But let's let's listen to a chunk of this thing. Radio silence is really good for podcasting. Oh, fuck, man. Of course. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, Are you, I, I just, if, I just if our audience up. can imagine Jason <laughs> leaning over his record player, moving like, the armature it? very gently, mm-hmm, he's cleaning mm-hmm, the dust mm-hmm. off of it. 
He's like obsessing over every groove. Right, I have to. Can you play the fucking song, buddy? I have to clean. Hold on, I have to clean it. Really? Yep. No. All right, Sean and I are going to talk about uh, Christmas presents or something. No. Thing that uh, I think about listening to this record, or, or a couple times I did this past week, was like how much I guess I di- haven't thought of them as guitar- like sort of lead guitar kind of soloing, like really technical uh, before. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I I don't think I heard that previously to this. This kind of like really, really heavy lead guitar kind of like lots of solos and like I think um, uh, that's different starting on this record as well as that sludgy kind of b-side stuff yeah that's the hippie talk yeah, that's right that's right that's the like let's jam this out for uh, <laughs> for 20 I minutes who, I can't remember who said it but um, somebody likened uh, Greg Ginn's, um sort of his technical um, not abilities necessarily, but his ambition. Mm-hmm. Uh, back to this word. Um, to uh, John McLaughlin, uh, Mahavishnu. Oh wow! Okay. Um, if you listen to some of like Bird of Fire or um, Intermatting Light, some of the um, 
just the guitar textures and how McLaughlin would kind of burst in. Yeah. Um, right. Over an established rhythm. Uh, people find that in, you know, I mentioned it before, uh, process of weeding out. Um, and it, it is true. I mean, it's it's there. I mean, I, he's not McLaughlin, right. by stretch, but, <laughs> right. um, but he he has a similar approach um, and, an, and an interesting idea of when to come in when to be up front and when to kind of sink back and let the rhythm speak. Yeah, yeah. It does kind of think this stuff out, which is, you know, also not necessarily um, uh, indicative of the genre. I mean, no one's really thinking. Everyone's just into violence. Right, right, right. Right. So, right. Um, you know, I mean, it points. To, it, I mean, it overall, it just points to growth. Yeah, yeah, sure. I I kept hearing about Saint Vitus was a big influence on the yes. B side too. I don't know them, and I have to go go track they were too. they were an sst band and they were also one of these very sabbath yeah um blood rock groups and yeah i'm sure they had a lot to do with that side too it, i mean it didn't come from nowhere right. but it, but they did put their own stamp on. yeah yeah absolutely um uh the other thing i just want to mention for more since you mentioned sst um i in listening to this you know in researching for this show uh, i ended up listening to the you don't know mojack podcast which is uh from what i could gather from a couple episodes um a couple guys from canada who are going through every sst release from 001 on and i think they're in the 70s now but man it's amazing to just pick a record from the catalog and go oh yeah i'm gonna go listen to these guys talk about it i mean it's like uh it's like a director's uh what do you like audio con uh you know, track for uh, whatever movie. It's awesome. I, I think it's it's a great idea, and and it's it's a great uh, catalog to pick, and and very relevant to all this stuff. Especially seeing the other releases around the time of my war, like with Husker Du, and and it's it's just like pretty nuts. I ended up checking it out after I um, after you called it yeah. out, um, and I was thrilled to listen to somebody talk about Saccharin Trust surviving the war. <laughs> yeah. Nobody. I don't know anybody who knows that record. Yeah. For something, and it's because it's out of print. Yeah. Which I'm annoyed about. I, I managed to find a copy on Discogs for like forty bucks, wow. and I was thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that record in and of itself is a testament to what my war accomplishes as well. Wow. Like, yeah. And and also another affront because they really are. I mean, they're objectively taking jazz fusion and prog rock and making a punk rock record out. Wow. Wow. I got to hear that. It's I, I, yeah, I love that record. Awesome. It hit me in high school and I've been, you know, impressed with it ever since. And That's crazy. I, I try to push it as much as possible. But, you know, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, no, I'm going to check that out. It's out of print though. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, luckily there's a, I think there's a few ways I think I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, right. Thank, thank you, Sean, yeah. for joining us today oh. and sharing your knowledge about my war. And and please, people should check out letters from a tapehead. And yes, and what else? You. What else are which you is, writing which is, for? By the I way, noticed. before we move Wait, on, okay, okay, letters on from a tapehead. There's hyphens between each of those words, so it's letters yeah, from a tapehead dot com. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not smart, and I should have done that. <laughs> um, but I started it in 2006. And for some reason, thought that was the way to go. I do love that your bio says "defending my bad taste in music" since 2006. <laughs> I think that's great. Well, listen, we we listen to records is not exactly 
we can't really talk. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I don't know um, what you that's the an amazing name. Uh, I don't know I mean what what your problem is. It was is. so dumb that it seemed right. Um, <laughs> hey, it's what you do. I mean it's honest. Yeah, right. We listen to records. Yes. We opine about records. Yes. See now that would be a great Aww. podcast name. Why didn't we come we, up with that one? We we, we opine. <laughs> what else? All right, what so, else? Uh, are you, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. What else okay. are you? Uh, what else are you writing for? Do you sometimes? Oh, I, I do reviews for um, norepcord.com. Right. Um, and I've been trying to branch out into a couple other things, but most consistent is probably no record. Awesome. All right. Great. Um, so here's the disclaimer because we don't own the rights to this music and we're just here <laughs> to talk about it and we have Sean who's a huge fan of this record and we just wanted to uh, you know play some Black Flag and, and, and ramble on for an hour but uh, you know please don't sue us well um, we promise to never make any money so hopefully that's that, are you is that a promise that you're making <laughs> I mean, on my behalf I am right buddy? now <laughs> really you just, well we'll just, take uh, this one down if yeah, no, if you don't, if, if uh, Henry Rollins hears this and for some reason thinks that we shouldn't be talking about this record, um, you know, well, we'll take this episode down. We're fine. We're, we're, uh, we don't need lawyers involved in our life in any way. Jay, how do people let us know that they love this episode or that they're going to sue us? Those are the only oh, sure. options. Either you love the episode or you're suing <laughs> That's us. That's right. Uh, how do they get in touch with us? Well, our legal team is on Twitter at we listen the number two, and the number one, because that makes sense, too. And then we're on Instagram. Uh, yeah, this is what happens when I let you name things, asshole. Um, yeah, records at harveylotsharvey.com. You can also go to Instagram. You can go to uh, Facebook. Um, right. Or, you know, your your grandma might stumble on our Facebook page and tell you, <laughs> oh, what is this Black Flag band? She loves about? my war. Yeah, grandma loves Black Flag. Um, all right, so normally this would be the point in the episode where we pick next week's uh, album, but because right. this is a special episode, we've already picked... Uh, next week's episode. Oh, um, yes. But Sean, uh, I kind of put you on the spot here, but is there a record or two that you think we should put into the list with something that you'd love to hear us cover on a future episode? Oh, good idea. Oh, man. <laughs> I know, I'm totally putting you on the spot there. <laughs> well, I think Saccharin Trust. I mean, obviously, that's Jason, your like name is not Sean, is it? That's is your name okay. Sean? All right, all right. All right. I mean, I sounded, I was actually thinking that, but I, I thought that would be corny as hell to say no. that since I. I don't know them uh, at all, and that sounds really interesting from what from what you said. Right, well, so. if it helps, the first EP they did was Pagan Icons, and it's in Kurt Cobain's top fifty albums of all time. Oh, wow, okay. So they did have a fan base. It's just yeah. For some reason, cool. the first full length record right. didn't. I don't know. It, it has it has fringe appreciation. Cool. Right. We'll drop that into the rotation for a future episode. Definitely, definitely. We'll and uh, if we do that one, maybe we'll have you back on. You yeah. Can, uh, you can we share your to. love for that one with us. Yeah, I'd love cool. to come back. Cool. All right, Jay. Yeah. It's time. It's time to play this one out. Um, oh we well. Are, what? Well, we didn't say what we're covering for next week. Just. Oh, next week. So there. on our previous episode where we talked about urinals. Yes. Um. Uh. At the end of the episode, we selected Chelsea Wolf. Pain is beauty. So next week, we'll be listening to Chelsea and her goth folk. Nice. So uh, in the meantime, pop that one on, put it in your rotation, put on your black eyeliner and your giant <laughs> leather boots, um, and you know, feel sad. It's winter. Aww. It's all right. Um, so Chelsea Wolf, Pain is Beauty. But thank you so much to Sean. Yeah, Letters thanks, from Sean. a tape head. This was amazing. We got to have you back on soon. Yeah. Jay, play us out, man. Okay, I'm going to pick one of the, the last 
tracks. I, I guess, I mean, we'll just go with the last one on the B-side, Scream. All right, this is Ben. We listen to records. Thank you. 